Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am fired up. And look out. We've got just an amazing guest today. I'm going to keep you in suspense for just a minute before we open in prayer. Uh, There's an event I need to tell you about. Tomorrow night, it's in Appleton at the Grand Meridian Hall, defending life, family, and faith in the elections. How can Christian leaders and churches Impact public policy lawfully? Well, Dan Miller, of, let's see, is the director of Pro-Life Wisconsin. He'll be there. Also, Jelaine Appling, CEO of Wisconsin Family Action. So they are going to be there tomorrow night defending life. You want to be a part of this. If you have time, I really encourage you to go tomorrow night defending life, family, and faith in the elections. How can Christian leaders and churches Impact Public Policy Lawfully. It's 6.30 p.m. Again, the Grand Meridian Hall in Appleton, Wisconsin. So uh, you go to Wisconsin Family Council website, Wisconsin Family Action, Pro-Life Wisconsin. I'm sure they have the info on their website. Father in heaven, thank you for this day that you've given us. Great is your faithfulness. We trust you in your sovereignty. We trust you in our personal, individual lives. We know that you have us here for such a time as this. We know that Every good thing and perfect gift is from you. We know that you prepared us for this time and this season we're living in, in America, in this world, in 2020. And you promised to complete the good work that you began in each of us. Father, wake up your church. We ask in Jesus' name that you would get people in the game. Not that life or spiritual warfare is a game. It is a battle. But, Father, open our eyes today. Challenge those who are listening and get these truths and this message to church leaders and pastors and challenge them, Lord. Help them to understand the times like the men of Issachar and help them to know what to do. Give us wisdom and bless this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so thankful that we were able to connect with today's guest, Pastor Paul Blair. He's a senior pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, and that's since uh, 2001, I believe. He speaks nationwide about God in government, as well as apologetics and a biblical worldview. He serves on the board of directors for BOT Radio and the Oklahoma Apologetics Alliance. Paul was a football all-star at Oklahoma State University and was drafted by the Chicago Bears in 1986. He played under coach Mike Ditka and alongside Hall of Famers Walter Payton, Dan Hampton and Mike Singletary. Paul is president of Reclaiming America for Christ and founder of Protect Life and Marriage Oklahoma. He is also a member of the Council on National Policy. He and his wife of 27 years, Cindy, have two sons, Joshua and Jacob. He's in Oklahoma. Paul Blair, thank you so much for joining us on Stand Up for the Truth. 
David, it is my pleasure. I'm glad I was able to get here. A little traffic problem this morning, and I need to make a correction. Actually, uh, that, that needs to be updated. It's now a wife of 31 years. 31? So, yeah, So, and both sons are married, and I've got a baby on the way, grandbaby on the way, coming in March. So I'm about to step into the grandparents' club. Well, you're not old enough to be a grandparent. I agree with you. Keep telling it, brother. I, I look young and vibrant. No. <laughs> yeah, creeping up towards 60 very quickly. But uh, Gosh. after surviving cancer, at least I, the Lord has still left me here to work for a while longer anyway. I'm glad you mentioned that, Paul. Before we get into all the important topics today, I wanted to check in with you about and get your take on. Um, how are you doing? You went through chemo, I think it was a year and a half ago. How's your health now? What's the status? Well, it, it certainly was a surprise. You know, there's not been any real cancer in our family, hmm. but uh, surprisingly, I was diagnosed in, in January of 2019, and we had a lot of projects on the table. Hmm. It was really an inconvenient time for <laughs> to have metal cancer, but I had a very severe throat cancer that was hmm. not a growth. It was actually just, it was, uh, it was a more of a, a flesh-eating or an ulcer type. It was just eating my soft palate and mm. uh, my throat, and very quickly. I, I, I most likely wouldn't have survived about by another 30 days if it hadn't been treated so quickly and so well. I had people around the world literally praying for wow. me, and, of course, uh, the finest in, in medical care from MD Anderson in Houston. And uh, I'm now, uh, I've completed my treatment in May of, uh, of 2019. I'm now, what, like 14, 15 months uh, post-treatment. I go back every three or four months to do CT scans and checkups and so far, I've been in for four checkups. I've got another one in November, and everyone has been clean. So wow, uh, praise after God. five years, they'll pronounce you cancer-free. So I'm mm. about a year and a half into a five-year trek. But learned a lot, which would be a good conversation for another show. But uh, it certainly has made me a better, more sensitive, more empathetic mm. uh, pastor as far as that part of my job. Wow. But uh, nevertheless, I'm in, I'm in pretty good health. Uh, I, I I was known for a, a mustache all the way through my career. Me and Ditka and like guys <laughs> like him, but you know, and, and I'd had facial hair the entire time. My wife had known me, but going through the radiation, my my facial hair went away, and I can grow it back now. But Cindy actually likes the skinnier, hairless Paul better <laughs> than the other one. So what what Mama wants, Mama gets. You know how that is, and. Uh, so, but we're doing well, David. Well, you dropped a lot of weight. I saw you about four weeks ago in Dallas, Texas. You look good, brother. And uh, I'm, I'm just praising God for what you have helped organize and put together through the work of him and his spirit. Um, yeah. America at the crossroads. I can't tell you, I think I tried to on the phone yesterday, how influential that was in my life. I was feeling Praise up here in this neck of the woods. I was a little, not isolated, but I felt kind of alone in the worldview, the battle, the knowing that we have to battle the culture and influence and politics is part of that, unfortunately. And, um, you know, a lot of pastors I talked to there, I even kept in touch with a couple. They said they went back. One, I think, was Alabama. The other was down there in Texas. And they said they have a more bold approach to preaching and what they address outside of church walls, you know, what's happening out yeah, there. Yeah. Um, Paul, your testimony, you said, I think I read at the age of 37, you were called to full-time ministry, and your passion, of course, is to save souls and the restoration of godly morality and decency in America. Well, that second part is a tall order with the state of morality in America today. Tell us, uh, you can briefly uh, just share your testimony, how you were in college, and I think you went back and heard one of your dad's sermons, and that kind of penetrated yeah. your heart. Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in a, in a real solid home. I was taught the Bible from, you know, my entire life. I was mm. a Southern Baptist 
you know, nine months before I was born. So I grew up in that kind of a household. You know, mom, when I, my mom would tuck me into bed at night, I'd, she'd teach me, I'd memorize the books of the Bible, memorize verses of Scripture. So I grew up in a very strict, uh, but loving, very loving uh, Baptist household. So I, I made a profession of faith at the age of six. But like so many others, so many young people do that grow up in that type of a household, when I got to college and I became a football star, you know, from at age 18, I discovered girls and, and other things. And for about the next, oh, six years, seven years of my life, no, about seven years, hmm. eight, eight years. You know, I was in college for five years because I had knee surgery as a freshman, so I had, had a hardship case and got that year over again. Uh, for five years of college and my first three years of professional football, you know, I could talk doctrine with you. I knew it in my head. Wow. But if you were to follow me around, there was zero evidence that Jesus was the Lord of my life. Hmm. So actually, as after my third year at the Chicago Bears, I was at home and out of respect for my father, uh, not really because I wanted to be there, but because I loved my dad and my mom and I, and I honored them. But I was in church on a Sunday evening. And that realization hit me. You know, it just it just dawned on me. You know, Paul, you call yourself a Christian, but there is zero evidence in your life that Jesus is the Lord. So I walked the aisle that night. You know, as a big you know, mm. you know you know professional football player in a small church had maybe forty people in the congregation at that time. And uh, you know, I walked the aisle, got down on my knees, and I made sure of my salvation. You know, I was baptized a week later, and and uh, I've done 180 degrees ever since that point. Cindy and I were married within the year. And uh, we've now been married 31 years. Uh, after I retired from football, had uh, you know very poor knees. Uh, had had one knee replaced already, and I need to have the other one replaced because just you know football's a violent game and it mm. takes its toll on you. And it did on me. <clears throat> but at the age of 37, and I was I was happy, I was comfortable, and not rich, but certainly not poor. I mean, Cindy and I have always uh, had you know God has blessed us. And uh, had my own business, which I'd been running for 15 years, and we were doing well. And I was serving in church and actually was a youth pastor in a church as a, on a voluntary position. I didn't get paid for it, but I just you know, loved to work with kids and do what I could. And, and the Lord called me into ministry, and it was just very clear. And, you know, not go into details on that because, you know, that would just take more time, and we don't have a lot of time for the show today. But Nevertheless, at the age of 37, I answered that call, and I've been pastoring at Fairview Baptist Church since that point. But having a doctrinal background, I wanted to make sure. You know, I understand how important it is to be a, a teacher and a preacher. Yes. And, and, I'm not, uh, and I knew the Baptist doctrine. So as I studied the Bible, I, I wasn't looking for proof texts to try to reinforce my beliefs. You know, I, I, I early on learned to read the Bible from left to right and read it in a Jewish worldview. That was the world in which it was written, and our Savior was a Jew. Amen. So those idioms and phrases and figures of speech and the things that they were talking about may not be terribly familiar to us today, but they certainly were in their day. So as I went through and studied the Bible, I, I went through and, and not trying to make sure I could win the debate, but I wanted to make sure I was right. So I've always approached the Bible that way. And one of the things that's been ridiculous, David, is this idea that we say Jesus is the Lord of our lives. Then, on the same hand, we turn around and say, oh, we can't talk about that issue in church. Oh, we can't talk about this issue in church. That's inappropriate. Well, wait a second. If Jesus is the Lord of my life, and as Paul said, whatsoever you do, you're to glorify God in everything that you do, mm-hmm. then Jesus is the Lord of my uh, sexuality. Jesus is the Lord of my economics. Jesus is the Lord of my ethics and business practices. Jesus is the Lord of my parenting. Jesus is the Lord of my being a husband. And Jesus is the Lord of my politics. 
So, you know, recognizing that, we, we just went back in and began very simply, you know, teaching apologetics, the facts of our faith. You know, it's not emotions, it's not feelings that matter, it's the fact of the empty tomb upon which all Christianity is based. If the tomb was not empty, then we're just wasting our time. We might as well go play golf on Sunday mornings. Mm. But Christianity is based upon fact. And then living a life of faith, if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, means trusting God and obeying God in every area of our life to the best of our ability. And God has, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, everything that we're dealing with in today's culture, God has dealt with biblically, whether it be covetousness and theft of socialism, whether it be sexual sins of homosexuality or abortion, uh, or or whether it be uh, honesty in business, or whether it be politics. You know, every pastor would answer the question correctly if you asked them, what institutions did God establish on planet Earth? Every pastor that I've ever met would answer that correctly. They'd say, God established the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, God established the church. And God established civil government. And if you were to turn around and ask those same pastors, okay, where do you go for instruction on your home? Well, they'd say, we go to the Bible. And if you'd ask those pastor, well, where do you go for instruction on how your church is organized, and church discipline and structure and so on? They'd say, well, we go to the Bible. But then you ask them, well, where do you go? If God established civil government, where do you go for God's will, God's desires for the proper role and limitation of civil government? And they scratch their head and go, I, I guess Fox News or, or MSNBC. <laughs> well, that's nuts. That's yeah. inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And our founding father pastors, going back to the pilgrims, they knew better. So, you know, historians document, John Palfrey and his great work, The History of New England, you know, documents the fact that those Puritan pastors and the separatist pastors searched the pages of Scripture for principles that they could incorporate into their civil government. So America was once based upon exceptional ideas. Now, we've always made mistakes. Every country has. There's not a single country that has not made mistakes, because every time you get sinful man involved, we have an incredible ability to mess things up. But America has done its very best to stay pure. And when we found, when we discovered something that was wrong, you know, it may take five, six decades, but we get it corrected. And we have in our country... And we want to return to those biblical values, and God willing, continue to improve. I mean, the the greatest sin and stain on our nation is the slaughter of 60-plus million uh, children that don't have a voice. Yes. So we, we are just as guilty or more guilty of sin now than we have ever been in our history. So the job is big, but our God is bigger. Yes. And we've got a great opportunity, and quite frankly, I'm excited about the future. Yes, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Silence in yep. the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. Yep. Uh, before we go on, Pastor Paul yep. Blair, um, you're having another America at the Crossroads call to all Christians and patriots October 16 and 17 in San Angelo, Texas. Um, yeah. I'm sure people can find out more about that. Yeah. Register for that at LibertyPastors.com. Yeah, we've got the website updated. Uh, we had, just like yourself, David, we've had a number of pastors that are just so excited about what they were taught mm-hmm. and exposed to. And by the way, let me just make a side note. We found that to be the case. I mean, we've done a half a dozen of these big conferences, and we focused on apologetics and biblical worldview, just a comprehensive biblical worldview, until this one in Dallas where we focused on critical race theory and Marxism and Black Lives Matter and COVID-19. 
But every situation, we have had pastors just say, the scales have been removed from my eyes. Yep. I never looked at it that way, but you're right. Hmm. You've totally transformed our ministry. So that is such a blessing to hear. But because of the event we did in, in Grapevine, uh, one of the pastors down there is, is working with other pastors in his community that actually didn't attend the conference but respect him and have listened to his story and are excited about this. And They're doing a community-wide uh, conference. Actually, it'll be an abbreviated conference, just be Dan Fisher and myself, and we'll cover about six hours of material with dinner on Friday night and then with breakfast on Saturday morning. So uh, all the details are on the website, libertypastors.com. And if anybody is down there within, the, within driving distance to San Angelo, we welcome you. Uh, we look forward to having another great uh, event there. Um, by the way, you have Alex Newman coming to your church to yeah. talk about, uh, I don't know, what the, the deep state probably, but we're gonna, yeah. in the next segment, Paul, we're going to talk about your sermon Sunday, which what is truth, and you examine critical race theory, and you said it is a poison that must be exposed. So just Absolutely. a teaser for our audience, knowing what's coming up in about five to seven minutes. Um, you brought up... Um, Black Lives Matter, what's happening. This is the cultural influence now that's getting into the church. We need to know how to respond as Christians. And I want to get your thoughts. You played for Mike Ditka. Recently, he came out with some very strong words against players that were taking a knee and protesting the national anthem. And I don't need to repeat them here. Yep, yep, <laughs> but he yep. kind of said, get out of the, the league if you can't respect America's national anthem. What are your thoughts as a former NFL player? Well, I agree with Mike completely, and I love the man. I just love the man. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, this is America, and America is not perfect, but America is the best country in the world history. Amen. And the reality is, is, is Black Lives Matter, the founders have admitted that they are trained Marxists. And we can talk about what that means in the mm -hmm. next segment. But the reality is the whole Marx strategy, and you look at it, whether it be the Soviet Union, whether it be Mao's China, whether it be uh, Fidel Castro's Cuba, uh, the whole idea is to go in and create agitation, create agitation and turmoil until finally you destroy the host. Uh, that means the current system. And then you replace it with their Marxist utopia. So they are working adamantly right now trying to cause a coup in the United States yes. of America. They're trying to bring down our constitutional republic. And quite frankly, when Trump got elected, he just really muddied up their plans for integrating America into globalism. And uh, they are doing their very dead-level best, because if he gets, gets re-elected, he's going to set back their plans for decades. So uh, this whole effort, everything to the COVID-19 and how it has been dramatically overplayed when you look at the statistics, everything has been brought about to try to create chaos and try to de they're trying to destroy our economy, destroy confidence in our president, mm -hmm. and they're doing their very best to bring down the constitutional republic so they can replace it with the what Marx called the dictatorship of the proletariat. And you look at any communist nation and you see how well that works. Yeah, so we'll talk about that in the next segment, Paul. We've got two minutes left, and we are going to get into the Frankfurt School of Marxism. Yep, yep. Thank you. There's a couple things you shared. I thought I was somewhat informed. I'm always learning new things. and as not we just always are learning, David. Yes, <laughs> and not just as pastors, but Christians, individual yes. believers, must know how to respond to these issues. Now, you say something on one of your websites, and there's a lot of information out there about you and your ministries, but about why pastors— 
you said God has called out his chosen men to stand strong and yeah. proclaim truth in a sinful world. And as pastors, we are not called to be church builders acting as CEOs, competing yeah. with the church down the block, but to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Sadly, the church growth movement took off in the 70s and 80s. And here we are in this, um, I don't know, church yeah. environment where we're competing and it's all about numbers and not about influence and the gospel. Your quick thoughts on that? Well, Barna and Barton did a study and did a book a few years ago called U-Turn. And in it, they had interviewed over 400 what they call conservative pastors. And these pastors were asked, does the Bible speak about every issue that we face today? Ninety percent said yes. Then they asked, are you willing to preach about those issues from their pulpit? Ninety percent said no. So first of all, you got 10 percent that don't even know what the Bible's saying. And 90 percent are willfully disobeying the call to preach the whole counsel of God. Mm. But when asked why, they said we're afraid it would hurt the success of our church. And they define success as attendance, offerings, staff members, square footage, and programs. So as you said, we are supposed to be God-called prophets Mm. proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ into this culture and confronting the culture. Instead, we are too busy conforming to the culture, hoping to be liked and praised by the lost world. When has God ever called his men, whether it be Jeremiah or Enoch or Noah or, or Jesus or John the Baptist, when have they ever been called to be politically correct and to conciliate with the lost world? Mm. It reminds me of uh, what you shared in an interview. One of the interviews I watched with you, uh, you quoted Galatians 1.10, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of yeah. God? Yeah. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We're talking with Pastor Paul Blair. We've got so much more to talk about. When we come back, we're going to mention uh, just some of his teachings and re- the recent one on Sunday, Critical Race Theory and What is Truth. More when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Pastor Paul Blair. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. I met him a month ago almost down in Dallas, Texas. Uh, America at the Crossroads Pastors Training. He is the senior pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Alex Newman will be there tomorrow night. By the way, Paul, can people tune in online to hear Alex? Yeah, well, go to our website, uh, Fairview Baptist Edmond. Uh, well, I haven't, I don't even know if it's .com or .org. Uh, Fairview Baptist, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it better. FairviewBaptistEdmond.org. FairviewBaptistEdmond.org. That's uh, awesome. We'll, we'll have him live. Uh, tomorrow night, and then, of course, we'll have him on our YouTube uh, channels and, and everything else. So you can listen to him live or catch, uh, catch a uh, follow-up. But No, we, we brought in, of course, we had Trevor Loudon at our church last month, and mm-hmm. the month before that we had Curtis Bowers in who uh, you know produced the uh, video documentaries Agenda. Troublemakers. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And then, uh, of course, this month we've got Alex and all these men addressing different topics, different areas, but you know, Alex, I'm going to ask to talk about those powers like the George Soros mm. and the Bill Gates and the others. They're the powers behind the power, uh, you know, that uh, you know, the deep state, as it's called. Yes, sir. So, uh, Alex is an expert in that area, and we look forward to having him here. Yep, he'll be on our program again in a couple of weeks, so it's good to have uh, him uh, as a guest. Um, I want to get your take before we talk about your message this Sunday, last Sunday that you shared at church, What is Truth? 
where you examined critical race theory. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett oh. has been nominated to the Supreme Court as a justice by President Trump. The left is pulling out all the stops, which, by the way, it's kind of confusing if, if Pelosi and Biden are both Catholic. They're attacking her for being Catholic. But anyway, your thoughts on that and the, the blessing that President Trump has had to have three Supreme Court appointments. That's one of the reasons we elect certain men for president. Absolutely. And and by the way, David, I, I was asked online, uh, somebody, you know, how can you as a Baptist preacher support Trump? I quickly jotted, it was amazing how quickly the answers came. <laughs> I, I, I jotted down 26 things. In fact, I just published them. We're going to send them out in an email today. <laughs> uh, I wrote down two things about Trump that I hadn't liked and 26 things about his policy. Mm. And what's funny is, I wasn't even a Trump fan in 2016. I was a supporter of Senator Cruz in Texas. Yep. I didn't even wa- I didn't even watch the uh, the Apprentice. I never watched the Apprentice <laughs> once. I was not a Donald Trump fan at all. But I love his policy. Yes. And that's the reason I'm I'm voting for him again. And every Christian should. Every patriot should. But uh, you know, as, you know, one of the main reasons that we voted for him in 2016 was knowing that he would play a big part in the makeup of the Supreme Court, which will affect America for the next 50 to 100 years. But, yeah, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. I mean, he is the president until, what, uh, January the 17th, regardless. He's the president all the way through the end of this year. The job of the president is to make nominations or appointments to the Supreme Court. The job of the Senate is to review and consent to those nominations or reject them. Well, we happen to have a Republican president. We happen to have a Republican-controlled Senate. That makes a difference. Yes. Quote, somebody, somebody said not terribly long ago that elections matter. Elections have consequences. Well, President Trump can nominate whoever he wants to at this point, and that is his job according to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And also according to the Constitution, our Senate can act on that or choose not to act on that if they want to, when they want to. So everything that's going on right now is completely constitutional. It is completely in accordance to what our founding fathers had designed. And I hope, I, I, I honestly, oh, Amy Coney Barrett, I've been a fan of for, for years, and I, I hope that she gets approved very quickly because that will make a significant difference. Yes, it will. Before we uh, go on, Paul, there's a book that you put together called Not Blind yeah. Faith, Verifiable Evidence God Exists and Jesus Rose from the Dead. And this is available by, through a PDF online, people can download it for free, correct? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, it's notblindfaith.com, uh, and it begins with this. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And uh, the bottom line is, you know, it's not about, you know, as I said a while ago, it's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's about fact. If Jesus literally rose from the dead, then he is the Lord. Now, it's up to each and every one of us as to what we do with that bit of information. God won't force us to bend the knee and worship him. We can, like Herod Agrippa to Paul, say, no, almost, you persuaded me. Or we can, like Thomas, when he saw the resurrected Christ, fall on our knees and cry out, my Lord, my God. But it's not because of a lack of evidence. These people that say, oh, you're science deniers. No, (laughs) we Christians are the ones that actually believe in science and the overwhelming evidence uh, is is there. So this booklet is great for evangelism. It's also great to strengthen the uh, faith of existing Christians. 
So we've got we've gone through tens of thousands of them. Uh, we've got them at our church. If somebody would like a copy of one, they can call us at Fairview Baptist Church. Our information is on that website, and we'll be glad to send them some. Uh, or they can uh, go to the website and read the whole book there in a PDF and even print it out for themselves. Thank you, Paul. It's not blindfaith.com. And I love the quote you start off in the uh, opening uh, paragraphs by C.S. Lewis. Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that's just the way we have approached it in America for the last 50-plus years. It's just, it's just kind of something we do to put on our resume and, and uh, to feel good about ourselves on Sundays. So uh, I think it's, uh, the book, obviously, I've had the pleasure and privilege of meeting some of these great Christian leaders in apologetics, you know, Frank Turek, Josh McDowell, Alex McFarland, Jay Warner Wallace. You know, we've had all these men in our church, mm. and, and I've been able to learn directly from from them. and And it's just a, a 24-page brief. Uh, it covers a lot of material. You know, if you want to go into great depth and detail, then you can get you know Frank's or Josh's book or Alex's book, Jim's book. But uh, this is a great uh, again track. A great tool of evangelism. It's also a great enforcement for the faith of of those that are already believers. A great apologetic tool, and uh, I highly recommend you guys checking out the link and downloading that, reading that. Paul, you uh, preached a message. I love the fact that that you do attack Scripture from Mm -hmm. that biblical worldview, the whole counsel of God, and you taught on critical race theory, what is truth, and I, I wanted to make sure you share some points about the Frankfurt School of Marxism, which yeah. eventually infiltrated America in the 1930s. But can you give us some of the bullet points from your message, however you want to set that up? Sure, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to. And understand, that's one of the things that our church is exploding right now. We've got. I uh, heard that. <laughs> about to add another, we're about to add another service. And, and the thing is, Christianity is very relevant. Mm. It speaks to us today. It's just as needed today, and the book is still as alive today as it was 2,000 years ago. But we so often teach it as empty platitudes or devotionals to get us through the day. You know, every epistle that was written was dealing with an issue of the day that that church was dealing with. You know, all the books of the Old Testament were dealing with issues of the day and how God's people were supposed to deal with them. So we do have it for instruction, but this is a very active book. So the Bible should be applied to us and our issues today. And you mentioned the Frankfurt School, and just very simply, you know, uh, uh, so many of these atheistic leaders, you know, were actually born in Germany. And, uh, of course, Marx was born there, and he lived in the, in the late 1800s and died, and those seeds of, of his had, had taken root. And by, you know, 1917, 1918, after World War One, you know, Lenin had played his part and deceived the Russian people and had come to, to power there. But it was really believed that Germany was ground zero for all this. Mm-hmm. And especially after World War I, there was great conflict. You know, they had lost. They were suffering incredible financial uh, reparations, payments for World War I, and, and there was a lot of division there. And Marx always thought that there would be a coup or a revolt, as he classified – again, remember, he was an atheist. He believed it was only the material world, did not believe in supernatural at all. So he believed that all of life's ills weren't man's fault. We're victims. It's not our fault. There's no such thing as personal responsibility. But uh, it's the consequences of our environment. And he believed that you you could divide the world into the bourgeois, which were the property owners, and the proletariat, 
which were the non-property owners and the workers. And he believed that the property owners were always oppressing the workers. I'm going to tell you, as I said a while ago, Mike Ditka was my boss for a number of years. I loved him. He wasn't oppressing anything. He was a great, great guy to play to work for. So that that's nonsense. But anyway, Marx's theory was that the, the proletariat was always being oppressed by the bourgeois, and that one day the workers of the world would rise up and uni- revolt and destroy that system and, re- and institute communism. Well, it didn't happen, you know, mm-hmm. after World War One. Uh, there in Germany. So they were still battling on the issue, and the Marxists established a actually funded school yes. to study Marxist thought and promote Marxist thought in Germany. It was headquartered there at the university in Frankfurt. Well, that was established in 1925. By 1933, Hitler had been named chancellor, and they were enemies of Hitler. They had to get out of town, so they ultimately they went through Geneva, wound up settling amazingly at Columbia University. <laughs> and, of course, John Dewey, who is known as the father of American education, was a Marxist. He was a humanist. He was an atheist. Yes. And it is Dewey that has so negatively influenced public education in the United States. But from that foothold in Columbia, this Marxist school, uh, uh, called the Frankfurt School of Marxism, has, has infiltrated and permeated every area of journalism in our universities and in our public ed and everything. Yeah. Well, they expanded the simple idea of Marx that instead of just an economic conflict, they brought in social issues, and they brought in such issues as gender and income and religion and now immigration status and gender identity and gender orientation. Yep. And you're, you, you weren't individually worth anything as a, as a person created in the image of God, but all that mattered is what group you belong to. Mm-hmm. And in their philosophy, for example, uh, men always um, uh, uh, were um, uh, oppressing women. And in their philosophy, heterosexuals always oppress uh, LGBTQ. In their philosophy, the rich always oppress the poor. In their philosophy, and this is another amazing nonsense, Christians always oppress non-Christians. Well, look around the world and look through 2,000 years of history. Yes. The yeah. group that's number one in being oppressed is Christian. But anyway, they divided it into that kind of a sphere. And the more groups you belong to, then the more moral authority you have. So, for example, if you are a, a black, lesbian, atheist woman, you have more moral authority than a black, Christian, heterosexual male because you belong to more groups. That's the trifecta. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right. That's the trifecta. So in the 1970s, they brought on this latest one, the race issue, and that's where uh, critical theory added critical race theory. And the amazing thing with critical theory is your life experiences as part of the oppressed crowd uh, are more relevant than actual facts. So don't look at facts when you look at FBI statistics and find that by a more than two-to-one ratio, there are more whites killed by police in a year than blacks killed by police every year. Facts don't matter. All that matters is the feelings of mm, that group. Yes. Uh, we say that, and, and by the way, this is their conclusion um, all whites are racist. 
that that's just a fact. Don't even need to argue about it. Don't present any evidence to the contrary. You know, don't talk to me about Obama, a black man being elected president in the United States in 2008. Uh, all white people are racist. You know, don't tell me that 43% of white people in America voted for Barack Obama. All white people are racist. As a matter of fact, and again, this is where it comes back to Marxism. Yeah. The system is racist. Therefore, we must destroy the system, which is our constitutional republic, so we can replace the system with what we say is better, which is their Marxist communist utopia. So simply, and oh, by the way, the idea of being woke, <laughs> if you're part of the privileged class, means that you are submitting to the uh, oppressed class. So when you saw you know, Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, shining the shoes of that black rapper, oh my goodness, that was I a know. symbol of him being woke. When you see Congress kneeling, that's a symbol of being, being woke. Unbelievable. Blasio painting the streets with Black Lives Matter. And again, this is not even up for debate. Do Black Lives Matter? Of course. Everyone created in the image of God matters. Yes. I don't need, but I, I have a hard time finding who the person was that said they didn't matter. I mean, this whole thing is a false, false debate. One They'll blood, one race. False. Yeah, ex- exactly. Hey, Paul, That's exactly we, right. we've got to take a break in a minute, okay. but but I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, they focused on economic society and culture, but yep. this idea, some Christians have fallen for the lie that America is full, uh, just systemically racist. And you said Sunday in that message that school shutdowns might be a good opportunity for Christian kids to get into homeschools. And we've got two minutes. I would just love for you to... Just, just share your thoughts on just because it's the poison and indoctrination yeah. in the government-run system, and Christians should be educating their kids. Your thoughts quickly. Absolutely, and this is part of the call getting back to biblical worldview. When you read in Scripture, whether it be the First Testament or the Second Testament, who did God charge with the responsibility of raising and educating their children? Well, it wasn't the civil government. It was parents. Mm. Parents were to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So now we've got the perfect opportunity. You know, the other side is talking about a reset. Well, this is a perfect opportunity for us to have a reset. You know, there is ample materials, more than ever. In fact, our church, we have three different homeschool co-op that uses our church for free throughout the course of every week. And we have hundreds of kids receiving a quality education here in our building. But there's wonderful materials, whether it be a Becca or Bob Jones Press or, or through uh, 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 New American. Uh, there's a lot of great material out there that's biblically founded, biblical worldview education. So it's a perfect chance for parents to pull their kids out of public ed and homeschool them with a biblical worldview. And by the way, some of the things that Donald Trump has said he is going to pass or do his best to pass in his next four years is, one, he is going to end abortion. Well, praise God, finally, for a president says that, and he is going to push for school choice. Praise God. Folks, if we have the ability to use the free market in education and we can control what our kids are being taught, where we send them to school, then we win overnight. Oh, Paul, thank you so much. That was perfect, and the timing was great because we've got to take a break. So much more to talk with Pastor Paul Blair about when we come back. We're going to talk about intersectionality. I know a lot of people are confused about what that is and why it matters. And also, you said the first time there has not been a peaceful transfer of power as far as electing presidents in our history was 2016. We'll talk about that when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here, friends. 
thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Today, special guest, Pastor Paul Blair, Senior Pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. You can get the link in our podcast notes at StandUpForTheTruth.com, also to his free book, Not Blind Faith. Hey, I just got a text from President Trump, by the way. He's going to be in Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, Saturday night. So uh, I think think I'll respond to that. Um, <laughs> by the, Yeah, the, uh, the airport there, friends, for those of you who are local. Um, Paul, let's get back to what you were teaching and what you were mentioning in, from your message on Sunday about what is truth. And we were, we've been going through some of these ideas that are infecting the, not only the culture, but the church. Now we move on from critical theory. There's this idea of a person's identity now. As Christians, we identify with Jesus Christ. We are his ambassadors. Right. But now that's this, will you identify to uh, based on a group? And this idea of intersectionality, what the heck is that? Well, let me first just spell out and remind people what truth is. And, that, and that's the important thing. Uh, there's an old story of a, of a uh, treasury agent one time that was asked by someone, you know, there are so many different types of counterfeiters out there. How can you possibly recognize all the counterfeits? And the response was, I don't need to know what the counterfeits are. I just need to know what a real, true dollar looks like. And then I can recognize all the error. Well, we have got to remember what God's truth is, and then we will remember, we'll automatically recognize the error. You know, as human beings, we are all created in the image of God, and we are created equal in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the law, and we are accountable to God for, for whatever our actions and behaviors are. But there's no such thing as guaranteed outcomes. In fact, you know, we're not equal in every way. Some people are tall, some are short, some are fat, some are thin, some are handsome, some are I mean, that's just the way, the way things are. Uh, but the reality is we all have worth and we all have unalienable rights from God because we are created human. We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have the freedom to succeed. We have the freedom to fail based upon our own actions and choices and behavior. That is the truth. Now, the idea of Marxism is they wanted to cause division. They want to create two groups. There's an old idiom that says the issue is not the issue. The issue is the revolution. Yes. So the Marxist doesn't care whether it's rich against poor, business owners versus workers, uh, gay versus straight, black versus white, uh, mask wearers versus non-mask wearers. They don't care what it is. They just want there to be continued agitation. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's why they came up with the idea of community organizers. Marx discovered that he, you know, when the unions went on strike, once they got a pay raise, they, they, they went back to work. Well, that wasn't what Marx wanted. He wanted continued strife and agitation until there was revolution and throwing off the, the, the existing government and replacing it with a new one. So that's why you have paid community organizers. That's why it's so important when you heard the term that two of the founders of Black Lives Matter were trained organizers, trained Marxists yep. by their own words. Yes. That's why it's so important to remember that Barack Obama was a community organizer, that his father was actually a communist that his mentor, Frank Marshall Davis, was a card-carrying communist, that his best friends, Bill Ayers and Bernadine Doris, were communists. Mm -hmm. You know, think, folks, put it all together. But uh, again, the idea is creating groups. And your worth doesn't come from the fact that you're created in the image of God, because, quite frankly, Marxists don't believe in God. Your worth comes from the group that you're involved in. 
So the blacks are always fighting the whites. The gays are always fighting the straights. Men are always fighting the women. Uh, you know, Christians are always oppressing the non-Christians and all that kind of nonsense. Intersectionality measures your level of oppression. Hmm. So as we say it said well ago, the more groups you belong yeah. to, the greater your oppression and the greater your moral authority. So if you are a black man, you are have greater moral authority than a white man. And if you are a black gay man, you have greater moral authority than a, than a white Christian man or a white straight man. If you are a black gay woman um, atheist, you have incredible moral authority, according to this uh, whole idea of critical theory, uh, much more than me as a white, male, heterosexual Christian. You know, I am a, an oppressor, as, as you are, David. Yeah. And you, we hit the trifecta and the daily double. I mean, we've hit it all. <laughs> so we have no voice. So if we have a debate, my, you know, my opinion versus your opinion or versus the, the gay, female, black uh, atheist, well, her opinion obviously matters because all that matters is her life experiences. And her life experiences are more relevant than mine. I'm an oppressor. Don't talk to me about facts. I don't care about statistics. I don't care about evidence. Uh, and, and as we referenced while ago with my book, Christianity is based upon facts yes. and evidence. Our faith is not blind. And, uh, you know, it's important that we believe what is true and, and, and not believe what is not true. You know, go back to the garden when Satan was deceiving Eve. You know, uh, truth matters and facts matter. So this idea of intersectionality is the more groups you belong to, the greater your moral authority in the debate. So, Paul, what is the ultimate goal if there are if it's simplified as oppressors versus the oppressed? Something must <laughs> something must be done with the oppressors, right? What 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 happens? Absolutely. Well, Marx was very clear. It was violence, because again, at the end of the day, when you take the veil off, the end of the as we've seen with the Black Lives Matter riots. It's not about black lives. You see black businesses mm -hmm. being burned down just like white businesses. Yeah. You, see, you see these white Antifa punks cursing out black cops. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. I thought it was about black lives. No, the real goal is private property. They want to eliminate private property. And socialism is rather than you and me owning stuff, the government owns everything. And through the government centrally plans everything about your lives. So that's the goal. The enemy is private property ownership, and that's what they wow. truly want to get away, get away from. Wow. And what's, what's interesting is under Marx, Marx believed that, the, that there were three tools created to hold up and defend private property owners. They believed that the state, i.e. the police force, was created by the property owners to oppress the non-property owners. They believed that the family was a tool that was created by the property owners to oppress uh, the non-property owners. Wow. You know, if we didn't have families, we wouldn't. You know, the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children and his children's children. Well, if we didn't have families, we wouldn't need that. So that was just a construct of oppression. And then they believed that Christianity, again, Marx was an atheist. He believed that Christianity was, uh, was the opiate for the masses. The reason he didn't like Christianity is he didn't like the idea of the working class loving their neighbor and forgiving one another and not coveting and not wanting to steal and not wanting to kill. It was imperative that his followers do just the opposite. So the goal is, and what do you see in these riots? You see churches being destroyed, Bibles being burned, 
because, again, Christianity is the enemy of mm-hmm. Marxism. Families, you look on the what used to be what we believe on the Black Lives Matter website, they said they wanted to destroy the Western nuclear family. And then you see police of all, all colors being cursed at because police represent the state. Now think back to what we talked about earlier in our discussion. What were the three institutions that God established on, on, human, on planet Earth? He established the church, he established the family, and he established civil government. Yes. What are the three areas that Marx is targeting? <laughs> the church, the family, family. and civil yes. government. Yes. So this is as anti-Christ as it can possibly be. Yes. And you mentioned, by the way, uh, guys, look up his sermon on his Facebook page uh, from Sunday. You, you played a clip of uh, Don Lemon in his early days <laughs> interviewing Morgan Freeman, asking yep. if there's such thing as race or whatever he asked him about systemic racism. Morgan Freeman looks at him and goes, no, yeah. look at us. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's famous black people that are successful, that are doing very well. In fact, professional sports. I mean, it's, oh. it's amazing how well they're doing. But anyway, uh, you said this is the first time that there has not been a peaceful transfer of power yep. when it comes to yep. a presidential election. 2016 was the first year, and you called it what they're doing now, a revolt. And it's true. They have not stopped. Paul, where do you see this going? We've got an election coming up November 3rd. Well, very. I'll cover a lot in a very short period of time. I, okay. I preached a message way back in May. We, we closed down for four weeks as a church, just like everybody else did. But we quickly saw that, wait a second, the numbers, the real numbers just aren't adding up. Right. So, again, we've let our people self-government. You want to watch from home? Watch from home. If you want to wear a mask? Wear a mask. You want to social distance? Then do so. But we aren't mandating anything. By the way, our church, we have seen zero evidence of a, of a pandemic. If it wasn't for the news, we wouldn't even know that one's going on. But uh, <laughs> True. We preach, I, I, I did a message back on May the 3rd called Connecting the Dots. And if you look at Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and Revelation 12 and 13 and Revelation 17, it talks about in the last days, during the time of the tribulation, and we don't need to get into eschatology now because I could fill another hour with that. <laughs> but I, obviously we are approaching that. I, I personally am a pre-trib guy, pre-trib rapture guy. But I, we are approaching that. We know that the world is going to be moving towards global government. Yes. Those ten kings that have their brief period of time when the Antichrist comes to power. Well, since 1950, since Eisenhower was in office, we have continued to erode our national sovereignty and integrate into the United Nations, giving more and more power. And it's been doesn't matter whether the only the only you know I I think that Kennedy probably opposed that, and I think that's why they killed him. I think Reagan was a non-player, but nevertheless he went along with it and and had a very successful eight years, but he was not one of the insiders. But whether it, you know George W. Bush you know talked about. Uh, you know, a new world order. Yep. And then Clinton, of course, was very much in favor of this. H.W. had a, uh, whom I supported, but we were, we were moving towards integrating into, uh, you know, global government. And then with Barack Obama, you know, he spent the first half of his administration apologizing to the world for America being America. And then he, we have seen Marxists, as we see the coup that's going on in our State Department, Justice Department, We've got Marxists everywhere that have come in through the Obama administration. And we were all set. Hey, the big boys, the Soroses, everything was going according to plan because Hillary Clinton was a Mm shoe-in. And Hillary Clinton also is a Marxist. I don't care that she's a woman. I don't care that she's white. Don't care. I just care about her policies. She's a Marxist as well. And if we had followed up eight years of Obama with eight years of Clinton, we'd have been done. And then all of a sudden— Mr. Make America Great Again gets elected president. 
And nobody saw that coming. I didn't. I don't think anybody did. No. And now all of a sudden we're renegotiating trade deals. We're pulling out of that stupid Paris Climate Accord. We're doing to America. We're bringing business back to America. We're bringing manufacturing back to America. And America is booming. And as of February of this year, I mean, his reelection was a shoe-in. It was locked. Well, boy, we have seen from day one when they were starting to talk about impeachment before he was ever even sworn in. (laughs) And we have seen there is nothing but lies being thrown out. In fact, quite frankly, the whole whole Marxist idea is projection. We're going to accuse you of what we're guilty of. And everything that they have accused Trump of, they've in fact been guilty of. But it's the first time since George Washington that we have not seen a peaceful transition of power. And it's because the stakes are so high. Yes. I mean, the other side was so close. The deep state was so close to winning. Winning America. Then, uh, yeah, exactly. Yep. America was about Taking to Taking control. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. But now, you know, we have, we have seen incredible change, and America is moving in the right direction. If we can get Donald Trump in another four years, boy, let me tell you what, there's going to be some incredible prosecutions. I guarantee you Hillary Clinton and all that corruption will come up for prosecution. We need to root out all these Marxists that are in the State Department and Justice Department. We've got to get them out of our universities and, quite frankly, out of our seminaries and uh, you know, take control of our own kids' education and have school choice. We've got a great opportunity right before us. And, and in fact, i got to tell you, David, I, I, unless the Lord comes first, I think that even if we are left here on this planet for another 30 years, I think our best days are in front of us. I think, we're, I think we are on the early stages of an awakening. I really do. And what I saw this weekend and what I've seen over the last month yep. uh, just give me reason to be encouraged. Where Honestly, three months ago, I was discouraged. Well, let's continue to stir up more pastors and more individual believers, as you guys are doing through your church, through America at the Crossroads. Yep. And I just got a text from a friend with the cover of Not Blind Faith. He already downloaded the PDF. But right. you can go and check that out from Paul Blair. Thank you so much. We're going to have to have you on again because there's so much more to talk about. Pastor Paul, God bless you and protect you in Jesus' name. Thanks, brother. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. All right, when we come back, our guests for the rest of the week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Tomorrow's guest, you will hear Jan Markell, Olive Tree Views. Thursday, October 1st already, Josh Paris, Ephesians 5 Ministries, talking about sexual fidelity. And William Cook, Reverend Pastor William Cook from Virginia, part of the Black Robe Regiment there. Uh, You heard from Dan Fisher last week, uh, Scott Lively last week, Stephen Broden yesterday, Pastor Paul Blair today, William Cook on Friday. These men of God are going to change culture, one individual, one congregation at a time, and hopefully the country. This will spread God willing. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.